Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are back in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio for the 2022 season of uh, the podcast, and uh, really, really excited uh, to get started here in the new year. Um, We're going to record episode number 198 tonight, and we're going to talk about a bunch of fun stuff in our warm-up segment. We have our City of the Week. We're going to talk about nominations for Player of the Week. Equipment tip of the week, we have a fun did you know, another really good listener question, and of course, Paige's power play. In our leadoff segment, we're going to talk about catching instruction and why it's important for your catchers to get training and potentially why they need training outside of practice. In our cleanup topic, we're going to kind of talk about the state of college athletics. College softball is going to be cranking up hopefully here um, in the next month or so, and uh, there's just a lot of stuff that's been in the news lately that Coach Don and I wanted to visit about. And then our coaching tip of the week, we're going to talk about connecting your training, how you're working on your hitting and batting practice and the cage and trying to connect it to more game-like stuff so that it feels more like real hitting. And so before we get into the topics, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. And again, as always, please take advantage of that EFP20 discount. It helps you save some money on a great bat. also helps us with uh, everything fast pitch. Also, if you're interested in helping everything fast pitch, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. When you log on, that's going to give you all the information you need. There's three different levels of monthly support. Coach Don and I really do appreciate our patrons. Uh, We've got a great group of people that have done uh, awesome work for us and supported us very, very well and have kept this uh, podcast alive. If we could add some more people to that list, it would be awesome. We would love to have additional support. You know, one of the things that we keep talking about is Coach Don and I are not making any real money doing the uh, podcast, but we do love doing it. We want to keep doing it better and better. And every time we make a upgrade, every time we get a new uh, program for recording or editing or, or anything else that we're doing, All those things cost money, and the patrons are the people that are footing the bill for that. So if you're in a position where you can, please become a patron at patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. So our warm-up segment this week, first off, Don, let's talk about our city of the week, Port Orchard, Washington. Port Orchard, Washington. That's fantastic. I know we kind of looked it up, and they're a little bit west of Seattle. When I heard that, I kind of had to do a double take, because I didn't think anything could get west of <laughs> Seattle except for the ocean. But I guess uh, you know, looking at the map, uh, there, there's a, a lot of areas that are kind of around uh, the Seattle area. That, Might be a uh, metro, right? Yeah. Metro and I think, area. Uh, you know, Port Orchard, uh, obviously a smaller community in the greater Seattle area, but the numbers jumped up really well. So obviously there's a team or a group People that sharing. Uh, are, yep. are jumping on board that uh, uh, decided to give us give us a listen. And as always, we're hopeful that our listeners will do uh, us a favor and ask their friends, people that you know that are not already listening to Everything Fast Pitch or Coach Prep, 
to give us a listen and, and try to get on board. You know, we certainly would love to see the numbers continue to grow. Um, we're always making slow, steady progress. The numbers keep going up. The, the downloads are, are increasing regularly. Um, but obviously, the more people that listen, the happier we are. Ultimately, it's a good thing for everybody involved. And so if you're in a position to convince somebody to give us a try, please do so, and uh, we'll take it from there. So, Tori, we talk about that, and as we're sharing it, if you're listening to it, the rest of your team should be too, right? Well, I think it would have benefit for everybody. I mean, obviously, we talk about a lot of different topics. Some of it's a little bit technical. Some of it's just fun stuff to talk about. Uh, but I think that it does have value. If you're involved enough in this game uh, that you really uh, are, are paying attention and, and trying to learn and trying to uh, have as much of a positive experience as possible, you know, to me, it just makes sense to share that ability with as many people as you possibly can. And obviously, we're excited about what we're doing. Always excited to have a chance to get together and talk about uh, the great game of fast pitch softball. And we would love for you to get more people involved in listening. So please do that. Um, and again, thanks to Port Orchard, Washington. You're the city of the week. So player of the week, it's now that it's 2022. We need nominations. I know the season's on it's the time horizon. time to get it going again. Now, yep. For most, most of the country, the high school season is here pretty quickly. And uh, for many of us, it's the uh, start of the travel ball season, getting uh, teams cranked back up. And it's certainly also going to be the start of the college season. So there's going to be a lot of people playing softball, and we need your help. We want you to nominate players that you think are worthy of recognition that would be you know, good candidates to be the fast pitch prep player of the week. We certainly are happy to nominate and, and recognize players that are doing great things on the field. Those are the majority of the people that we recognize. But also if there's somebody that's uh, done a great job in the classroom, has done something special in the community, maybe uh, volunteered or, or started a program or doing something uh, you know, for a, a local charity, all of those things we think are really important too. You know, one of the most touching ones uh, that we ever had was uh, the situation with the player from Oklahoma and the super fan from their team. And anytime we get a chance to recognize those kinds of situations, to me, it's a very special thing, important uh, that we recognize players for doing those kinds of things. And if you're in a position where you have a player, somebody that you're familiar with, please make sure you let us know. Uh, you can email us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Just a quick little note with you know the reason why you want that player to be recognized. You know, Maybe a few of the particulars of what they've accomplished, what they've done. Uh, that you think is worthy of recognition, and we would love to recognize them. So please, 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 all of our listeners, we need you all to start uh, you know, shaking the trees for us a little bit. Let's get some player nominations in here. I would love for us to be sitting here every week, uh, Coach Don and I arm wrestling, because we both have two or three kids that we love. So I want mine in that, there. That we wanted yeah. to recognize, and so let's... Uh, Let's get those numbers cranked up. So, Tori, and again, it's fun for us to share our local kids here, but we'd love to hear about kids in other states and other areas, right? right? Yeah, and, and I know... So the, we need them to reach out. Yeah, the majority of the players that we've recognized have been Atlanta area kids, but that's because that's where you and I work. That's where we're... You know, in the mix. Always seeing kids yeah. and, and, and know so many people. But it doesn't cost me any more to send a T-shirt to Washington or California or Texas than it does to send it to... Somebody in Tennessee the Atlanta or, area. Yeah, and yeah. so, uh, you know, again, it's, it's something that we would love to recognize more players from more parts of the country. So please make your nominations. And again, fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everythingfastpitch at gmail.com. So, Don, it's the new year. Let's talk about our equipment tip of the week and the Square Cuts training desk. No, we've had, uh, again, just a, a nice push for everybody to get some of those for their team, whether it's a, a gift to a coach over this Christmas holiday. I had a number of people that have reordered. So yep. we're getting getting people that need more or, you know, they have them for their team, but they want to make sure they've got extra at home. 
so many good things about them from the quality feedback that they're getting to the durability on their bats. They're not uh, wearing their bats out and breaking them yep. just through training. The sound in the basement is not so uh, alarming that it distracts a, a sibling from studying. Right. And just everything about them have been good. Durability, oh. they've been great. Yeah, it was our, our first uh, opportunity to venture into the equipment business. And I'm very proud of the Square Cuts training discs. I think that it is a great tool. Um, and our customers have been smarter than Coach Don and I were at the beginning because we thought it right. was just going to be a hitting do- tool. Uh, but people are using them for bunting. They're using them for pitching. They're using them for throwing. They're using them for fielding. Um, they're using them for just about every aspect of this game that you can imagine. And uh, obviously, that's exciting for us. So if you're interested, you can get your Square Cuts training discs by going to the fastpitchprep.com website. When you go on the front page, there's a button that you click. It's going to take you through the ordering process. And we will get them shipped out to you ASAP. Uh, we've got them here in the uh, facility ready to ship and, and would love to get them out to you as, as soon as possible. So if you're interested, go ahead and uh, click on the fastpitchprep.com website. They are $49.95 a dozen. And again, if uh, you're looking for team equipment, if you're looking for something for your individual training at the house, uh, looking still for a gift for a, a coach or a co- contribution to your team, uh, it serves all those purposes, and at forty nine ninety five a dozen, it's a very affordable tool. Good value for sure. So, Don, did you know twenty twenty two Team USA was just announced the other day? Wow! Uh, and I know uh, they've got uh, some international events on the horizon this year. And uh, one of the things that uh, was a li- very interesting to me, looking at the uh, list and the team that was selected, is it's a really balanced group of veterans, players that uh, have been on the. Team USA and the Olympic team for for years and years, and then a bunch of new players, uh, some kids that are still in college, some uh, new players trying to, I guess, uh, bring in some fresh blood and some younger players to the mix for Team USA. They had 45 players total in the pool that they selected from. They selected 15, and then they also have a handful of players that are on the, like the alternate list. Yep. Yep. Um, but it covers the whole. Uh, Spectrum, obviously, you know, Monica Abbott, who uh, did not have to try out. Uh, she was exempted from the tryouts because of uh, uh, some illness issues. Obviously, with her track record and past performance, I don't She's think anybody, there. Yeah. anybody needed to argue whether uh, she was worthy or not. Uh, Ali Carta, Haley McClenney, uh, Michelle Moultrie, Dejan Mulipolo, uh, Bubba Nichols. So a bunch of returners, a bunch of players that uh, have already gotten a ton of international experience, Notoriety and, but then also yep. some, some new players. We have a player uh, who we're very familiar, familiar with here, Sharla Eccles, who's an Atlanta area kid, okay. um, played with the Vipers organization coming up and, uh, and, and also played with Georgia Impact. She's a senior at Florida now, and she was selected, and she is uh, one of the very best hitters I've ever seen in person, um, and just a great kid, really hard worker, um, and a bunch of other players uh, that... Uh, um, are new to the team. Montana Fouts was selected this year, and obviously nice. her resume is, is, speaks for itself for what she's accomplished at the college level. Um, but so we have Eccles from Florida. She's a senior. Fouts from Alabama. She's a senior. Kinsey Hansen, uh, the catcher from Oklahoma. She's a junior. Uh, Janae Jefferson, a Texas senior. Taylor Pleasance from LSU. She's a redshirt sophomore. So wow. um, a lot of new Very blood young. mixing in. Um, and, and again, I think there's a, a really good pool of players. And so you know, there's a, a lot of talk right now about what the status is of the Olympics and Olympic softball. And I know, uh, you know there's a lot of things just kind of going back and around, a lot of rumors, a lot of things. We're going to keep our ear to the grindstone and probably uh, try to get Justin McLeod in here in a couple of weeks 
kind of touch base on all the different softball news because he is definitely the, the person that is our the our rundown insider. on all the goodies. Um, yeah, and and he'll be able to update us on exactly what the status is for the Olympic movement and where the Olympics are for that, and then also try to get a college update from him, kind of a preseason uh, look at what's going on. Tori, I think that's super exciting when we do have uh, you know the veterans mixing with the younger ones and kind of you know, whether it's a passing of the torch, but um, to have some of that experience at the international level, I think it's got to have a lot of value for, for the whole group. Right. I think that's going to be good. Well, and one of the things for the United States, it's a blessing and it's a curse. We have so much talent, so many great players that it's hard to pick from. I'm sure, um, yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, that uh, one of the things that we've seen happen in the Olympic movement the last few, few uh, Olympics was players that are American college superstars playing for their national team because they have the lineage, the, you know, the heritage that allows them to play in, uh, you know, team Mexico, team Canada, yep. uh, you know, a lot of those uh, other programs where you see a lot of American college players or players that you remember from American college games that, uh, you know, were representing for their, their, for their country, yep. just a wealth of, of talent. And, uh, I guess it's a, it's a good problem to have, to have so many amazing players to pick from that when Kat Osterman retires, you're sad to see her go, but you've got you know Montana Fouts to plug in as the next young player to come up and and maybe be the next one to carry on that mantle for the next ten or twelve years. That keeps it really exciting. And again, I think that the exposure that many of these athletes are getting in college too kind of allow us to be familiar with them. Yeah. Whereas before we couldn't really watch them on TV all the time, and now we're getting to see them transition. Um, you know, from the college game to the uh, international game. Right. Well, it's, cool. it's such a shocking thing to me when I think about it. You know, you know, Monica Abbott is clearly you know one of the best pitchers that's ever lived. And in 2007, when she graduated from Tennessee, college softball, the, you know, the College World Series games were on ESPN. And, you know, they would handpick an occasional regional or super regional to telecast. But it was not like it is now where all those games are on and, and between you know, the ESPN family of networks. And so to me, it, it's kind of a shocking thing, you know, that uh, you know, Monica's famous because of her international experience more now. But if we would have had the same kind of coverage back then, 15 years ago that they have now, Jaws would have hit the floor watching her. Right. Um, but to see her, you know, continue on at, uh, at the level that she's at and then the new young players come in, it's just really exciting. So did you know Team USA was selected, and they're going to be kicking butt and taking names. I love it. It's going to be fun. All right, Don, our listener question comes to us from Bert. Bert wants to know, should I get my daughter's brand new glove steamed? What are the pros and cons? Well, it's interesting, Tori, because we have had, uh, I guess it must have been Christmas gift, but I've had a number of students come in and talk about how the MLB has this new steaming process that's going to be in some of the sporting goods stores and things like that. And I've never really been a big fan of steaming and and softening the entire glove that way. Yeah. I, well, the, I know the, it'll break it in quicker. It'll... Well, the steaming process is is one of those things. Is it has a very short term impact. If you get the glove steamed and you immediately work on it, it's a little bit more pliable for a while while you're working on it. But if you just get it steamed and don't do anything with it, it's a total waste of time and effort. It's got to be worked while it's warm. You've got to be you know, working the hinge and pounding the glove and, and doing all that stuff um, while it's hot. The the steaming only allows you to have the ability to manipulate the glove a little bit easier, but it's still a sweat equity. You got to get your mind right, get the uh, rubber mallet or the ball mallet or whatever it is that you're going to use 
and and get to work on it. You know, so steaming has a short term, uh, but I'm not a. So I don't know. Are they are they injecting like a a lubricant type softening? No product uh, into the, it the, through the, the steaming process. Yeah, or? No, the, the typical steaming is just like it sounds. They basically put it in a a steam box. You know, glove gets up to you know whatever it is, 175 degrees or whatever it is, and then after you pull it out, right for that you know very few seconds while or I guess minute or so while it's cooling down, the leather is a little bit more flexible. It's a little bit more pliable, and so you have an opportunity to. You know, make a little bit of an impact on breaking it in if you're doing it while the while the glove is warm. But to my way of thinking, breaking in a glove, there is no shortcut to it. Um, it takes some sweat equity. It takes a little bit of knowledge. Um, it takes being willing to invest a little bit of time and effort. And the reality of it is if you bought a really good glove, a really, really top-level glove, it's going to take a while to break it in. You know, the, you know the, the top-end gloves are made with the very best leather. They're a little stiffer, thicker, a little tighter. You know, with thicker leather. Um, it is way stiffer at first. You know, some of these brand new high-end catching gloves, you know, it's like when you first put it on your hand, you can't make that thing move a millimeter, no matter how hard you try squeezing. You've got to invest some time and, and, and effort in it. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to break in a glove, but I don't like anything other than just breaking Good old it in, fashioned you know, break in yeah. the, the sweat equity. I don't like sh- shaving cream. I honestly don't like leather conditioner as a break-in tool. You can use a little bit of uh, Neat's foot oil or a little bit of saddle soap periodically to clean it and to moisten it to make sure that the leather stays moist. But then you know, the people that take a, a, a can of uh, glove conditioner oil and, and soak a glove and then put it in a hefty bag and let that oil soak in and soak in and soak in what we're doing a lot more harm than I, ultimately than I think we're doing good. I can remember as a kid, Tori, uh, almost having fielding gloves that were drenched almost like in motor oil or yeah. something. And you could feel the leather on the glove and, and just almost, almost have slimy. Yeah. It was, it was crazy, yeah. but it was heavy. Yeah. And it would weigh it would weigh the leather down. Yeah. When you would see the kids wearing white pants and like you know, they would like rest their glove on their knee or whatever <laughs> while they're in their ready position, have and they would spots. have a, like an oil spot, like an right. oil stain. So I know that's old school, but wouldn't you say though that the the stiffer and the more difficult to break a glove in, the longer it's going to last? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, and so and that's part of the 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 purchasing the trade-off. That's yeah, the purchasing uh, discussion. You can buy a mid-level glove that's pretty Super soft, soft and easy yeah. you know, and and easy to break in. That's almost ready to play with the day you get it. But you're um, going to be doing that again pretty soon, right? And yep. then that's that's a couple year glove. If you get a high high end high quality glove, I tell people all the time, you know, they will bring me a glove to break in. That this should be the last glove they ever buy. And they kind of look at you like, well, what do you mean? I said, no, this should be the last glove you ever buy. If you do what you're supposed to do now, once we get it broken in. Might replace you know, a lace here or there. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that was something that's a, while, while you mentioned that, Don, while we're talking about gloves, I wanted to bring that up because I had this discussion with somebody the other day. They were really frustrated that they've had to have their glove relaced. Relaced. And I tried to get them to understand that the reason that the gloves need to be relaced and retightened is because the lace is designed to give and ultimately, it's designed to break because that's what keeps the leather in the rest of the glove from breaking. The therefore, lacing is... Therefore, to, you not have to go through that whole process right. again. Yeah, yeah the, the lacing is, is designed to be like the breaking point in the, in the construction so that instead of a ball tearing through the pocket or tearing through the palm, 
It's got this give built into it. And so all gloves are going to have to be tightened. All gloves are eventually going to probably have to be relaced. And it's just, you know, like... Just particularly the, the pocket. Yeah, just the yeah. normal operating <clears throat> procedure. It's not, a, it's not a surprise. I have somebody that does catching lessons that I've done and, uh, and pitching lessons that I've done gloves for her three or four times. The second or third time that she would bring a glove back, it's like, you know, kind of like questioning, like, you know, did you do this right? It, you know, it's like the, you know, two years ago, we had to have this thing released. Well, you've got people using this glove like five hours a day catching different levels of pitchers. To think that it's never going to give is unrealistic. And we kind of explained to her that, you know, that the whole idea is the lacing gives so that the glove doesn't tear. Think about catchers, too, are trying to be firm to sell a pitch yeah. and... But if you really want to laugh, there's a, a video on uh, on YouTube I saw the other day of somebody used a cannon to shoot a baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've seen And that. they had like 15 gloves. Through 13 And it was 15, just like yeah. blasting right through every one of them, like a, like a bullet one, I going I think 1,000 miles an hour yeah. or something um, like that, yeah. So even in that case, the, the lacing tore, the leather tore, the pocket tore, it was the whole thing. But so no, breaking in a glove takes some time. It's going to take some sweat equity. Don't shortcut it. Uh, the, the more you shortcut it now, the more more you're going to be damaging, hurting the, the quality of the leather, and eventually you're going to end up having to replace the glove sooner because you did these things to break it in faster, and that's just the, the trade-off that you make. Yep. No, I think that's uh, good advice for sure. And so what you're saying, Tori, is the steaming, 25 extra bucks, we'll steam it for you. Uh, yeah, for, for the 25 extra bucks, I'd spend an extra 10 minutes working on the glove cold and go to lunch yeah or you can even honestly you can even use just warm water like you know turn the hot water on in your sink and take like a washcloth or a you know piece of paper towel and soak up some really hot water squeeze out you know the excess and just lay that in there for for a few seconds and you'll have the same exact effect but only on the part that you want to work right, on. Right, on the yeah. part that you're trying to work on. Honestly, I, that might be a whole lot better than, than softening the whole glove. Yeah, I don't want to loosen up all the rest of it, the yeah. fingers and thumbs, yeah. So, Bert, thank you very much. If you have a listener question or suggestion or anything else that you'd like Coach Don and I to talk about, you can always contact us again at fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everythingfastpitch at gmail.com. Bert, your Everything Fast Pitch t-shirt's in the mail, and we really do appreciate all of our listeners getting involved. Um, we're happy to send you that t-shirt as a way to say thanks. Uh, for contributing to the podcast. We need more questions, right? It's always fun to yeah. talk about stuff that people are interested in. So, Don, that's going to take us into the first Paige's Power Play of 2022. Hey, it's Paige here, and 2022 is here. Can you believe it? I hope you had a merry, merry Christmas, and you are getting ready to ring in the new year. And one of my absolute favorite things to do at the end of the year is to reflect. I know it doesn't sound glamorous or as cool as making vision boards. Hint, hint, we'll be doing this in January. Uh, But reflecting is so eye-opening and can give you some instant feel-good confidence. It is so powerful looking back at the beginning of 2021 and seeing how far you've come in just one year. Because we are constantly being hard on ourselves and not thinking we are where we want to be, the athletes I've done this with, and myself included, are always so surprised at the progress that we've made. So are you ready to surprise yourself? Here's how to do this reflection thing. And you can do this as a parent and as an athlete. This is kind of for everyone. But number one, get out a piece of paper and a pen and pencil. Number two, set a timer for 10 minutes. Number three, brainstorm 
all of the progress you've made this year. Small wins, big wins, things you're proud of, celebrations, all of it. Try to get at least 50. After you finish reflecting, answer these questions um, that I'm going to share with you right now. Number one is, how does it feel to notice all the progress over one year? And the other one is, what was one takeaway from this reflection? So I hope you go through this and that you give yourself credit and notice how much growth you've had in just one year. You can even do this throughout the year when you're feeling like you're stuck or just not as far as you'd like. It's a great instant feel-good confidence exercise. So happy new year and I will talk to you soon. Don't forget to grab my free self-talk practice and look out for the vision board workshop next month. All right, Don, so our lead-off topic this week is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite Sporting Goods is located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at EliteSportsOrders at Yahoo.com. If you reach out to the folks at Elite, they can hook you up with whatever you need, bats, balls, equipment, spirit wear, uniforms, the whole nine yards. Uh, please feel free to contact them because they can ship anywhere in the country. So, Don. The topic I wanted to talk about today is, is this is something I, I did my first team practice the other day. Okay. This coach basically wanted me to observe and, and make suggestions, make recommendations. What I noticed right away, and then the reason that I thought this was a good topic is, I firmly believe that no position on the field during most practices is more neglected than catcher. And, I know. Yeah, and and I and know. you know this probably better than anybody that uh, that I know, because for the vast majority of coaches, the catching job during practice is catching up while the team does infield. So basically, you're practicing catching a ball that gets thrown from the first baseman, <laughs> or thrown from the third baseman, or picking a ball up out of the cart and tossing it to the coach is pretty much what a lot of catching practice is for a lot of kids on most teams. And obviously, you know, there, there's a time and a place where, you know, the catcher receiving a throw from first base can have some value, but if we're just tossing it in because we just hit a ground ball to the shortstop and I've got to toss it into the catcher so the coach can hit another ground ball to the second baseman, we're probably not really working on anything at game speed. And so because many practices are truly lacking in training time for catchers, and because most catchers, I think, are neglected, I think we have to make sure that we're doing everything we can to get the right training and the extra training that our catchers need to make sure that they're game ready when the when the bell rings. I think that's super tricky, Tori, because you're exactly right. Uh, being the catcher, you're the one that's uh, you know catching up for infield. You're the one that's catching up for outfield. But you're also the one that had to come early to do a bullpen for one pitcher. Yeah. You got to stay late to do a bullpen for the other pitcher. We're not really doing our catchers any favors thinking that we need to go easy on them because they've got all this extra stuff they're doing. Um, they need the, the fine-tuned skills or for somebody to be in the bullpen with them to say, hey, we're going to you know, block five and then we'll you know, catch 15. Right. And then we'll block five, then we'll frame 15. Yeah, and, then, and, and that would be a much better approach if most of our coaches were taking that with their catching time. But so what we want to do is first off is encourage our coaching friends to think about what you're doing at practice and make sure that you're doing more catching stuff. The creative form. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they need to be catching pop-ups. They need to be throwing to bases. They need to be blocking. They need to be backing up first base. They need to be fielding bunts. They need to be covering third. 
uh, on the interchange if third throw, baseman throw down on third strike. Yeah, um, you, you know, know drop those, third strike. All yep. those things need to be practiced, and so we're hopeful that by talking about this tonight, that our coaches will understand that they need to build more of that into their practices. Um, they need to figure out a way to do more of that for their catchers because there's nothing more embarrassing, and we've all been there. That sky high pop up gets hit right behind home plate. The catcher's out there spinning around in circles like she's a drunken sailor with no idea where that ball's going to come down and has no idea how to get her body in the right position to field it. Well, and also, too, in in a game setting, they go a lot higher and have a lot more action on them than we typically create for their practice scenario. Yeah, and so we, we have to practice it all, and we have to figure out ways to fit all of that in. So now that's what we're hoping will happen. So now here's the stop gap if that doesn't happen with your practices. So if you're a catcher or your daughter's a catcher, um, all we have to do is look at the situation, see what's happening in practice. And if you're... Un- they can't facilitate right, it. Right. If you're unfortunately on a team that isn't getting your catcher ready to catch, then we need to make sure that we're doing it. Now, there's two different options, and both can be valuable, but one or the other has to be our choice. Number one is we find a catching instructor. Sure. Somebody that is experienced that probably knows the skills, knows the drills, maybe has some new ideas, might be in on some of the cutting edge ideas of stuff that's that's changing in the game that can be that person to help your catcher or help you as a catcher make sure that your skills are continuing to develop. So whether it's, you know, quicker release, whether it's blocking more effectively, whether it's making different kinds of plays, how you're setting up to receive pitches, you know, how you're, you know, sticking the pitch to get a strike called, how you're framing a pitch. All those different things are things that uh, that catching instructor is definitely going to be looking forward to and want to help you with and want to help you train in uh, to make sure that you're getting better because that's, you know, that's their love. You know, we're, we're very fortunate elite uh, that uh, Claudia Cooper, who is a Division One former catcher, has been a catching instructor for a long time. And it's gotten to the point now when somebody calls me and wants me to do catching instruction with them, I just pass them on to Claudia. Sure. I mean, I don't even you know, want, want to try to match up with what she's invested in and able to do with it. But so a catching instructor, I think, can be a really valuable addition to the plan and, and to a player's development. No, I think you're exactly right, Tori. I think that the, the, work that the work or the workout that they can get with somebody away when that's just what they're doing on that day, could be extremely valuable and um, thorough. Right. Because we haven't done the bullpen before practice, the bullpen after practice, all the running and things that everybody you know does then. Yeah. We can be picky and fine-tuned. We can ask questions. Yeah. We can create a lot of confidence in the approach that we're taking. And um, from pitch strategies to pitch counts and things like that, I think... Uh, or things we could take time to cover and be comfortable and confident with. Right, and and you're probably going to get some repetition in there too, but I think one of the most important things is then if you're playing and struggling with something, if there's something that doesn't feel like it's working as well as you want it to, you see something that you want to really improve, going to your catching instructor and saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not throwing out enough you know, people stealing second base. I think I need to, you know, to improve that. You know, they're going to have the skills and the knowledge and ways to help you improve your throwing to in, you know, increase the likelihood that you're going to throw people out. If I, you know, if it's, every time the ball's in the dirt, it goes to the backstop. I haven't blocked a ball all, all season. Well, that's where they're going to be able to step in. And where I think the instructor is valuable is that they have the knowledge and the expertise in how to teach those 
specific fine-tuned pieces. They've worked on it. They're invested in it. They they understand it enough that they can really make a difference. Now, the other option for our, our catchers and catchers' parents is you can fill the gap and do some of these things at home. Sure. Now, I think this would be a good idea, whether you have a catching instructor or not, because, again, it's just one more way for you to get those extra reps. Um, and it doesn't matter, really, who's pitching a ball in the dirt for you to block. It doesn't really matter who's tossing a pop-up for you to catch. You know, it doesn't, you know, all those different things, you know, we can simulate at home and work on that way too. The only potential issue there is, I think, you know, many parents would feel like they lack the knowledge or expertise to be able to do a lot of instructing. So I think it would be a great tool for getting more reps in and, and getting more practice time in, or the parents have to take it upon themselves to get on YouTube to you know, go on our I was going to say, you talk about YouTube a lot. This yeah. would be a perfect Yeah, go to our scenario. YouTube channel. If you go to fastpitchprep.com, go to our YouTube channel. Claudia has got 30 or 40 catching drills on there. If you're a parent that wants to help your own kid, um, if you're not in a position where you can bring your kid to Claudia, then bring some of Claudia's knowledge to your player by you and, and your daughter watching some of those videos, you know, understanding what we're trying to get done and working on training at home. So I think w- what I'm hearing from you, Tori, is first line is coaches be more active trying to create a good environment for right. our catchers. Um, seek out a catching instructor and do some on your own. Absolutely. And you can do all of those, right? Yeah. And, if, if, and if we could have that... In a perfect world. If we could have that perfect scenario play out where coaches all. listen to this and change their practices to make sure that they're getting more catching time in, Parents see the value and invest in an instructor so that their player's getting cutting-edge instruction, and then the player and the parent are motivated enough that they want to work on some stuff on their own, You know, go to the park or go in the backyard and do some of this stuff. I think we're going to start to see a we're whole gonna, lot. We're going to grow some great catchers. Yeah, we're going to see a whole lot of catching improvement. Yeah. And, and here's the reason why I think this is so important is, is we know, you know, Coach Don and I have talked about this a thousand times. Huge that, value behind yeah, the plate. Besides the pitcher, no one has more impact on how this game is going to go today than the catcher. You, know, you can have the world's greatest shortstop and best the world's second-best yeah. center fielder, yeah. and if your catcher can't catch a pitch or can't block anything in the dirt or can't you know, you know, make a throw for, you know, to save her life, your team's going to be in trouble. If we've got issues behind right. the plate, yeah. You know, um, and the other thing about it is, is a strong catcher, I think, can be the greatest support system and the greatest security blanket for a pitcher. If you're a pitcher who's throwing a drop ball and you have zero faith in your catcher that you know it, it's never going to get stopped. You're going to be hanging them in right. the zone, right? Yeah, you're going to yeah. throw bad ro- drop balls because you want to make sure that the catcher can catch them instead of good drop balls that might be in the dirt once in a while. What's more heartbreaking than to get that really good pitch, swing and a miss, balls in the dirt, and catcher has no chance of making a play, and the runner ends up at first base on a you know, pass ball third strike. Sure. No, that is frustrating. Don, you hit the nail on the head. Coaches do a better job of incorporating catching in practice. Find a catching instructor who can make sure that you're getting all the instruction and the knowledge that you need, and then let's work on it as much as we can because we want our catching to be our strength. Got one more, Tori. Yeah. Catching camps. We can do yeah. some. Yeah. Yeah. And those are something else that's available. And so, so, but it's up to us to make sure that we all see the weaknesses that we're creating because, again, it didn't take but one practice for me to start shaking my head going. What about I've, the catchers? And, and, and I've yeah. seen it so many times. It's not that this one coach no. doesn't, uh, doesn't understand. If I've done 100 of these, I would say 80 of them, the catchers do nothing but catch up and catch bullpens. 
Right. And and they might, you know, a couple of throws down to second, like on our first and third plays. Maybe a couple of bunt, bunt coverage things. Yeah. yeah, but depending upon the team, some teams don't want the catchers doing anything but watching, you know, basically the play. That's so they're the not other, getting much out of that anyhow. Those guys fall in the 20 out of 100, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so let's, um, let's make that adjustment because we know it's such an important position. So, Don, that's going to take us to the cleanup topic. Our cleanup topic is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And, Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. Well, Don, college softball is hopefully just around the horizon. I'm going to throw the word hopefully in there because with the newest variant of coronavirus, we've got a lot of shutdowns and a lot of problems going on right now with college basketball. And I'm nervous as could be because if college softball gets screwed up again this year, I'm going to be so heartbroken. I'm not even going to have words for it. But assuming that because it's an outside sport and assuming that uh, we can hope, um, yeah. that there's a lot of things that make softball more Unique. likely to yeah. survive this latest variant of, of Corona. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on, a lot of stuff out on the horizon. So as we said earlier, uh, we're going to get Justin on here in a couple of weeks to talk about uh, the predictions and, and who's going to win what and who are all the great teams. And he's going to be really good at helping us figure that out. But there's a couple of things going on in the world of college sports in general that ultimately I think are going to have a big impact on softball. We've talked about the name, image, and likeness and what that meant to college sports. For all of the people who really think it's great that college athletes are now in a position Finally where they can earn, their just, earn money, yeah. I agree with that to a certain point. But what's already happening with name, image, and likeness is like ringing the bell of all the things I was afraid of and all the reasons why I think that we've opened up a Pandora's box of potential problems. Once you start giving it to them, you can't take it away. Right. That, that's well, not going to go over well. And, and, and what we're creating, and this is something that, uh, you know, we're on the eve of the uh, college football championship. So by the time everybody listens to this, it'll either, be over. Yep. Uh, Georgia or Alabama will have been crowned the uh, football national champion. But those two coaches who are definitely at uh, schools at the top end of the food chain right. that have the booster support and the financial support and the, the money and the budget to do an awful lot of things. They're already talking about how we need some changes in how name, image, and likeness is working because it's creating a gigantic issue in recruiting. And, and obviously, football recruiting has always been a little bit shady. Tori, and, the portal, too, now. All, yeah. the, all the players that are playing next Monday could all be susceptible to an offer right. in the name, image, and likeness. Yeah, and, yep. and so what really rang my bell on this thing and really got me fired up was a couple of different things. I saw an article, Texas A&M was lucky enough, fortunate enough to have the number one recruiting class by several of the different uh, evaluation, evaluation services yep. and a whole bunch of five stars and four stars and all these great players and players from all over the country. And it doesn't surprise me because, you know, they've been a really good program and they've had a lot of success over those last few years. So them being in the, in the mix for having one of the best uh, recruiting classes didn't surprise me that much until I read about their new 
strategy, the funding, the new system that they have in place now at Texas A&M, which is one of the best supported financially schools, I think, in the country. You know, they've got a really strong booster network. You know, they've got a lot of oil money and 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 you know very successful people that have strong deep, ties deep and strong pockets. strong reasons to support Texas A&M but the estimate was that this recruiting class for Texas A&M is going to cost their support system their boosters and the people that the boosters have put in place to pay these players for name image and likeness that this recruiting class was in the neighborhood of 30 million dollars Tori, 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 wait, wait, wait. So, more so than any other year that they've recruited or done or had budgets there, this is going to be $30 million more? Well, yeah, but it's not from the school. It's from the Boosters. supporters. Yeah. And so, basically... Well, I mean, they could have given to the school right, in years but, past. Yeah, but, but, yeah. And, and, and don't get me wrong. In the past, some of those same boosters might have been contributing so this to is, recruiting anyhow. This is $30 million more right. or up front. So, and, and whether you know we, we talk about uh, it's legalized, some of the stuff that was always happening anyhow, I think there's probably some truth to that. But now instead of a, a car showing up in your driveway by accident, now we have players and players' parents um, negotiating with each school, looking to see who can help them make the most money they possibly can off of name, image, and likeness. And so the way it was explained in the article was at Texas A&M, their network of boosters all basically, they had the list of players that the school really wanted, and they divvied up the players, and it's like each booster's responsibility to put together whatever it A took, package. whatever the package was, whether it was their business or friends or other businesses or however they did it, to seal the deal. And so that was... A gigantic, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we got here this fast. And now here's the reason why this is so challenging. We talked about this a little bit ago. Oklahoma had the number one prospect quarterback last year, cashed in and made a bunch of money on NIL, ended up not being very good in relationship to their expectations, Right. transferred, and is taking that Oklahoma money with him as he goes to his next school. The player who beat him out for the job is now in the transfer portal and has flat out said with no ifs, ands, or buts about it, I'm going to go to whatever school gets me the most money. And here I am. And here we are at exactly the point that you and I talked about several months ago. And well, what's going to happen if? And so we've definitely created a free agent market for college talent. And the fact that the transfer portal now allows players to transfer and play immediately basically means that if a player does well anywhere, they can put their name back on the market. They can put themselves back out there, whatever they, they need to, to make it happen. You know, Stan just showed me a, a thing that was on a quarterback from Oklahoma, a million dollars to go to Eastern Michigan. Right. My See, guess is that that's going to be like chump change when this all gets sorted out. It's just going to be the wild, wild NCAA portal. It's the the craziest thing ever. And and unfortunately, here's here's the problem. So Texas A&M has the money. Their boosters have the money. For most of those kinds of businesses, writing a player a check for a million dollars is like chump change. It'd be like, you know, you and I... You know, stopping at Starbucks or or you know McDonald's or something like that. I mean, it's it's nothing to these billionaire people that want their school to be good. But the reality of it is, 
They just spent $30 million with zero guarantee that any of these players are going to be any good at all. See, this is where I, I think that there has to be some kind of a, a package caveat where this money's going to be for you if you do these things. Right. If you stay for four years, if you not getting in trouble, right. you know, well, do, the, doing uh, all these these things, then it's there for you after that. Yeah, no, the one thing about the A&M story that I read was that they have already figured some things out, and so they've written it into the deals that they're making with these players that it's only as long as they stay there. If they transfer, the money doesn't go with them. Right. So, so we've already learned from some of the players that transferred because they didn't do very well and took the money with them or took the car with them or took the whatever it was that they got from the yeah. uh, from the booster to to go someplace else but so here's the 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 other question so let's say Texas A&M's 30 million dollar recruiting class next year 15 of those kids decide they want to transfer because either a it's not enough money get 1.5 yeah it's you know what they're getting from A&M isn't enough money they've proven now after one year that they're way better so then does A&M have to come back and and up the, up, up the ante again or does somebody else just swoop in and, and pluck take, them, and, take them and take them away? Portal. Yeah. And so to me, what's happened is, and, and again, this is, you know, I know many of you get tired of listening to the old coach who, you know, who really thinks that there should be some value in getting a scholarship. You know, I spent uh, an awful lot of my life, you know, working with athletes that were so happy to get book money because they loved playing softball. And the yep. fact that they saved you know a thousand dollars or whatever it was a year on on textbooks made them as happy as happy could be. They worked hard. They loved playing. They loved their team. They loved their school. That you know, spending all those years with those kinds of kids to now see college athletics turned into this whatever we want to call it that that is happening now. That I just I can't get behind it. I don't I, I don't get it. I'm excited for the kids. I'm excited for that stuff. But that. Those are houses. They could be living in their own home right there around campus for the four years. Well, that and, might be what some of those yeah. packages are, you know, that, that uh, you know, instead of in the old days where we would we'll have a whole neighborhood full of yeah, where we would rent a linemen house, yeah, from, <laughs> we, we would rent a house so mom and dad could come and, yep. and live there during the, during the football season and watch you play. Now they buy now, it. Now we can hand you the deed to a house. Right. And, and it's not going to be, a, you know, a, <laughs> A, a mobile home in a trailer park. You know, Tori, gonna, there's a couple cars in the in the garage too. Yeah. I mean, Nick Saban might end up with neighbors in his neighborhood that are the, players that are playing for him. that are playing for him because right. you know that's where this this could potentially be headed. And again, I understand that you know the players that are contributing so much, especially in college football, because college football is the total monster in this whole thing. Will this happen in softball? It's, it's not going to happen to the same level. It's going to trickle into other sports. It, it, well, yeah, definitely. And it's going to happen in softball because here's what's going to happen. You pick a school. We, Who is we, the best pitcher? Boom. Right. There you go. So, so let's say three years ago, Montana Fouts you know, comes onto the scene at Alabama. And obviously, you know, she's done an amazing job for Alabama. She made the Olympic team, made the Team USA, yep. um, you know, but so let's say after her freshman year, they recognize school X or school yep. Y looks at it and says, you know, they've got that one booster that uh, has softball. the money that loves softball that, you know, and there are a couple of schools, I'm not going to mention any names, but there's some schools that I know of where in the old days, you know, they were making major donations and doing a lot of things for these different programs to help, you know, with facilities yep. and, and those kinds of things, you know, really throwing money into schools 
to help them, you know, try to keep up in the arms race and have a better chance to win in softball. Yeah. Well, now instead of building a new weight room, I could just call Montana Faust and say, hey, how about $2 million? Get two or three, the top pitchers. Yeah. So they're not pitching against you. Right. Again, there are softball boosters. There are people in this game that I know that have you could know, do it. That have multi multi million dollar businesses that are so successful and have have made you know there's such amazing success stories that you know if they made up their mind that they wanted school X to be really good in softball they've got the money and the ability to make it happen if they decide they want to and everybody keeps saying well you know Montana Fouts loves Alabama well, I'm sure she loves Alabama sure. and just like all these kids love the schools that they're at. Caleb Williams loved Oklahoma. He loved playing for Lincoln Riley. Was going to you know make Oklahoma the you know the national champions. You know Lincoln Riley left to take a ten million dollar a year job at USC and doing Caleb, exactly what the kids and do. And now Caleb Williams might be like you know in the same tax bracket with him. Well, they're all doing the same thing, right? But how is how is that an even playing field for well, NCAA? Right, NCAA and is, and that's you know and and we've talked about this before, and I know I've had a couple of you know, people that have really gotten after me for this opinion. Everybody wants to hate the NCAA, and I get it. The NCAA is not a perfect organization, but the NCAA's charter is really simple. They have to come up with a rule book that allows Tennessee Tech to compete for the same national championship as Tennessee. Right. They have to come up with a rule book that allows Georgia State to compete for the same national championship as Georgia. From from recruiting to offers everything. to everything, right. yeah, and and that's why the NCAA rule book is so quote unquote archaic and and so out of touch with reality and 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 isn't designed to handle the billion dollar business that college football has become. You can throw that out the window, right? And so now we're going to have all kinds NCAA of... NCAA is going to be a hindrance to yeah. Well, I th- all I, of this, I, I think that it's it's going to have to basically Obsolete. take. Yeah. All the rules about recruiting and just basically go, heh, whatever you want. From contact periods. Yeah, to... I mean, just do, do whatever you want. Kind of circling back around. So, why, what was Nick Saban and uh, Kirby Smart talking about? Why they think we need some regulation? Because they can already see that you're going to end up with 10 or 12 programs in football that can win, and everybody else is going to just be there to be a developmental system to create players that those 12 schools can snag. Who, who, do you, who do you contact as a coach? Who do you contact? Do you contact an agent? Do you contact the player directly, the player's parent? Yeah. If you want for them to you know, consider your whatever, million-plus offer, how yeah. does that work? I, I'm, I'm you, curious to see. Can, can you <laughs> chat with them during the season? Yeah, I mean, so, so what's, what's, let's just say next year. Do they just get a, a letter in the mail? Yeah. So, so let's just say next year. You know, in the uh, national championship game, Coach X loses to Coach Y. After they shake hands, he walks over to the quarterback of the team who just beat him, sh- shakes his hand and says, son, you're an amazing player. I was really excited to see you play. How about $4 million to come and play for me next year? Right? Well, what, what's the etiquette here? Have well, we got yeah, some etiquette? I, I don't think there is any etiquette anymore. <laughs> That that's a good one. No, so Stan just threw us. So it's sort of like travel softball that way. But right at the concession stand. Yeah. So so now what are you doing of, next uh, season? Yeah, instead of hiding behind the concession stand or pretending that you had to go to the bathroom, you can just talk to him right on the field after the game's over. But we're headed for a place that I just don't think I'm excited about. I mean, good news is I'm close enough to the finish line now that probably the total nightmare of what college sports are going to become will happen after I'm dead and buried. But we're headed for something that's nowhere near what different. all of us grew up with. And, and even much younger people than me. 
there's an awful lot of people that, you know, that love their school because of their school, but they also love their school because of the memories they have about, you know, going to games and tailgating before the football games. That was singular, what you just said. Singular, school. Some of these are going to be right, but and, and for for and that's what I mean for the yeah. uh, us, us old folk, you know, and for for people that are a little bit younger than us, but still of the old, you can you know, play the, at three or four different yeah, of the schools old system. now. And so a lot of that loyalty and a lot of that uh, connection that people have with their teams and their schools is to me totally disappearing. And, and here's the way I guess you can sum it up: I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. I've been a Green Bay Packer fan my whole life, yeah. and I'll always be a Packer fan no matter who plays for them because I basically cheer for the uniforms. Yeah. And I cheer for the, the history. history. Yeah. But I know that every year my roster is going to change drastically. Every year at free agency, we're going to lose players. Every year at free agency in the draft, we're going to get new players. And we're all used to it because that's how pro sports are. In college, we used to have a chance to get to know a player, watch him grow, watch him grow and develop, watch him develop and, and see yeah. him have that gigantic success, you know, later on in their career. Um, you know, the running back from Alabama Robinson that just had that amazing game in the semifinals. It's his fifth year at Alabama and he's been there long enough to work his way up the food chain to get a chance to finally have that big game and that big moment. Those days are going to be so far gone that you know, we're going to have, we're going to have to start cheering for just the laundry and just for the uniforms, because we're not going to ever know who any of the players are. <laughs> just think about having to learn about the the playbooks and the development of of learning the whole routine of a program. I mean, you can't just change up and do that, do it different every season. I wouldn't think no, at that but, level, at the high level. I mean, and still go to school, and still well, do all that other stuff. Don't get me started. So, <laughs> so, but anyhow, so yeah. we, we've got college softball on the horizon. We've got uh, this topic, which was really, you know, disheartening for me to to see. It went um, further today than I thought we yeah, were going to go. Yeah, it, it went a little bit. Uh, I got a little bit sadder thinking about it. Well, and, and Stan raises a good point. So, you know, we talk about name, image, and likeness, and I guess you know, for an awful lot of these players, I'm not sure what that really means. I know that the idea of a, of it originally was that you could sign an autograph, that you could do a, an advertisement for a car dealership, you could do all those things. We keep talking about all these players that are cashing in, and I don't recall seeing very many of them in, in any commercials or... What is the give back? Yeah, what, what, what is Other the, than on the yeah. field. And, now, and again, now, where it's been a good thing, where I've enjoyed it, like in softball for the most part, what it's done is it's allowed players to like do their own camps and do their own instruction. Right, right. You know, uh, there was a football player who I don't know his name, but I can remember the story, was in a country band. And, you know, the band was getting paid to play, you know, little shows all, you know, around different places. And he had to, you know, use a fake name to get paid for playing in a band right. because that was against the rules for the, uh, for the old NCAA the old rules. And now he can, yeah. he could go on the voice and win the voice or whatever and be him, his real self instead of having to pretend to be somebody else. But it's just, it's a, it's a tangled web. I'm not happy about it, and you know we're you know whatever eighteen months into this thing, and it's already shown to be about as out of control and ugly as i as I was afraid it was going to be. It's definitely casting a, a shadow, so still got to be able to coach them once you get them. You still have to be a, a have a quality program and all that stuff, right? I'm not so sure just the horsepower yeah, I'm not so sure I, and that's I think why this is so i guess hard for me to to get my head wrapped around is a player. In football, we'll just use football as an example. Basketball would be the same thing. 
yes, there's some value in where you're playing because you're going to have professional opportunities behind it. If you're a quarterback and you go play for Lincoln Riley and he ends up getting you to the point where you get to be the number one draft pick, there's value in that besides just what you're getting in, in name, image, and likeness money. But for an awful lot of players who aren't thinking that they're going to be number one in the draft or might not even be an NFL-level player... Take the money. they got to take the money. And yeah. so are we going to take money only and not worry about whether the coaches are any good or whether the team's any good? It's just, I don't know. Uh, and again, <laughs> how, how crazy can it be that uh, uh, Deion Sanders has now gotten two super high-level level. recruits to go to Jackson State? Now, no offense to Jackson State, but... How much is he going to make from NIL while he's there? Well, I'm sure he's going to do just fine. Sure. You know, and will he make as much or more there than he might have made at Florida State, which was the original school everybody thought he was going to go to? It's hard to say, but at Florida State, he'd be one of 25 great players that all expect to get paid. Right. At Jackson State, he might be one of five great players that expects to get paid. Right. And so in, in a community like Jackson, Mississippi, there might be five or six boosters they can make those five or six kids feel great. Sure. And not some other place. So it's just, it, it's very disheartening to me to see where we're headed. Um, I hope that softball can insulate it, themselves from it as much as possible. Uh, this was my first. Oh, uh, time will tell. Time will tell. And I do think that before we stop recording everything fast pitch, we're going to be talking about, can you believe so-and-so just won a college rule series at school X and they got, NIL'd away. Right. They they got they got dollared away because for softball players, there is a very limited opportunity to make any money as a professional. And, get, and so yeah, absolutely. So if you know a lot of those players, their best chance to make money is won't, going to be when they're in college. Won't that be crazy, Tori? It's already crazy. So it's gonna um, be exciting. So I'd, I would love to hear what our listeners think. You know, the five yeah. or six of you that always email me about stop being an old fart and, and get with the plan and the kids deserve the money. Yes, the kids deserve the money, but college sports deserves some sanctity, some system that we can all get behind, and this isn't it. So now that's going to take us to our coaching tip of the week. Our coaching tip of the week is about the idea of how do we connect our training to our game? How do we make what we're doing in practice, especially hitting, feel like it's applying more directly to what's happening out there on, on the field on game day? And this is something that you and I both deal with all the time. You know, players will you know come back. Mom and dad will come back, and you know, we, you know, you know, she's doing so great in here. She's hitting the ball so well. Her mechanics are so good. Her timing so good. She's crushing the ball in practice, but she just can't hit in the game. Something happens. I hear that over and over again. So I know it's a universal. It's a issue. real thing. It's a real yeah. thing. So there's things that I think we want to talk about. Ways that we can start to think about what we're doing in our training to try to connect the dots a little bit more, to try to you know make it feel more and start to try to simulate a little bit more of game situations, game pressure, and trying to make kids feel a little bit less intimidated. You know, Because I talk about it to, you know, with players all the time. When I'm pitching to them, the distance that I'm away from them and the speed that I'm throwing simulates translates to way faster than the pitchers yeah. that they're seeing. If I know we're, you know, I'm working with one of my, you know, upper level kids, and she's got a tournament coming up this weekend, and she's going to be playing against three or four, you know, ace pitchers. You're in tight on her. I'll, I'll get up there, you know, 18 feet away, and I'll be throwing 40 miles an hour. And when you do the math, that'd be like a pitcher throwing 70, 75. Yeah. And they have no trouble getting their timing. They have no trouble getting ready. They still have control. They still have all that stuff. But then they'll come back after the game. Like, well, 
you know, I didn't quite have the weekend I wanted to. You know, I didn't have the same kind of success that I wanted to. We know that there's a disconnect. So here's some ideas that I had, and I thought we'd kind of go through them, some ways to make what's happening in the games and what we're doing in practice, kind of connecting the two a little bit more. And the one thing that I've started to do a lot more with hitters is trying to simulate game-type situations. You know, we'll do at-bats where, you know, I'll, I'll be pitching. and, and Pitch counts, yeah. maybe. Yeah. And, and so, you know, typically in a lesson, we'll spend a little bit of time with me throwing pitches that I'm sure she can hit, and then we'll spend some time with me throwing pitches that I'm sure she can't, or at least more challenging. But not just me blowing it by her just to keep her from hitting, but trying to set up, like, some game situations. So we'll do some at-bats with some counts. And you know, try to you know treat it like a you know you're up to the plate. It's a zero zero count. You know, and I'm going to pitch like I would pitch to you if I was calling pitches. I'm going to try to get you out. Your job is to do the best job you can to hit the ball hard and get on base. So that's one that I like a lot. We do that quite often, and I think that's a good one that people could start to incorporate. Second one I like is situational hitting. Our philosophy is we get a runner on second base. And we want to get that runner over to third, runner at second base with nobody out. You know, obviously, we can sacrifice bunt if we want, but I, I'm also happy if we have a situation where I have confidence in a hitter to that I think can hit something and hit behind her. Right, hit yeah. behind her and still have a chance to maybe get a hit. Now, obviously, you're always run the risk of she could st- you know, hit a line drive to the second baseman and we get a double play, but doing some situational hitting. So I a right-handed really batter is. looking for something outside. Right, that they can drive yeah. to the right side of the field. So I think situational hitting is something that we should be doing and can be doing. And again, coaches, we can be doing this in practice. Uh, players, you can be doing this when you're hitting in the backyard, right? I mean, you can do this when you're hitting off the tee if you're thinking about it that way. So instead of always just hitting that fat pitch right back up the middle, set yourself up with it to feel like it's an outside pitch and work on driving that hard ground ball to the right side and see if you can't get a base hit while you're advancing that runner. Another one that I like to do is scorekeeping. We've talked about this a couple of times where we'll do sets of five or 10, you know, small enough that it's easy to keep track of and, and easy to keep score of. And again, trying to you know create more game-like pressure, more game-like situations. So if we do a set of five, you know, we'll keep score. If they hit the ball really hard all five times, five out of five. But we could also do that in situational. So you're going to do five, but all five of them have to be to the right side. You know, we're going to five hard ground balls to the middle of the infield to get a runner home from third. You know, like whatever on that, a hit and run, you got to right. keep it on the ground. Yeah, yeah. whatever that situation. Yeah, a hit and run's a great one. This ball has to get hit. It has to get hit on the ground. And yeah. we score a set of five. So five out of five is perfect. A zero out of five is really not good. You know, and somewhere in the middle. But I think that's a way for us to amp up the intensity a little bit. Give the kids a way of you know kind of feeling a little bit of the pressure, a little bit of the angst of what's going on. But I think that scorekeeping is one of my favorite. I love doing that, and especially with younger kids. Because if they start to lose their focus a little bit, they start to you know zone out a little bit. Nothing gets them more back in the game than knowing that we're keeping score. Well, and something that you just mentioned there too, Tori, trying to create pressure. You know, if you do partner kids up, if you're in a team setting, I know you're talking individual yeah. stuff, but uh, team setting. If there's the pressure of having to your partner having to do push-ups or sit-ups, right? If you are or aren't successful and things like that, that can create that pressure that is hard to simulate in practice sometimes, right? Yeah, and that was the another part of it is is definitely you know having some sort of you know rewards and consequences. Yep. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, it could it, and and you can do it both ways. If you know, if if you get a five for five, you know, I've got a you know bucket full of Jolly Ranchers. You get to have a Jolly Rancher at the end of practice. If you go, you know, three for five, you got to do twenty five push ups because sixty percent is a failing grade in every school in America. 
I, li- I like the clean your room. Mom and dad like the clean your room one we do. Yeah. Well, that, that's, uh, you got to clean, you got to clean yeah. your room if you but, don't. But, yeah. but so, you know, it, in, implementing some sort of rewards and consequences, I think is another really good strategy to use. And again, it puts a little bit of pressure on, on the kids. You know, when we talk about situations, sometimes we'll try to make it really as clear as we possibly can. It's the championship game. It's the bottom of the seventh inning. The winning runs at third with two outs. When you do that stuff, it's interesting to see how wide their eyes get right. and how intense they get, yeah. right? And it's not quite the same as some girl in a uniform out there trying to get them out, but it's better than just hacking away with no yeah. thought. If, or If you or, foul or, them off, no right. big deal. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, another one that we will do sometimes is I just call it evaluation, but it's based on how the ball gets hit. In my mind, I judge what I think that would be on the field. And we used to do this a lot when I was coaching at UW Parkside because we would spend tons and tons of time hitting in the cages and you know trying to have an idea of you know what's the best lineup going to be, what's the best batting order going to be. I or one of the trainers would sit behind the cage and basically when the ball got hit, well, that's a ground ball to the shortstop. Okay, that's a line drive to left field. That's a base hit. Well, that, you know, that ball's at least a double, maybe more. And so we would kind of have a little score sheet. And at the end of the day, we was like, well, Don, today you were, you know, three for six. Uh, you had, you know, two ground balls to the shortstop, one ground ball to the second baseman, and three line drives, you know, line drive base hits up the middle. And, and again, it was just a way to add a level of evaluation to it, a level of pressure, because obviously... Create more as, intensity. Yeah, as yeah. soon as you know, wait a second, I'm going to have, watching. A, I'm gonna have yeah. a practice batting average. Some, somebody's uh, going to evaluate. I'm going to have a yeah. cage batting yeah. average. And, now, and again, you can do that with pitcher versus hitter. If you're lucky enough to have a cage that's large enough that you can have a pitcher pitch and a catcher catch, that's a beautiful thing if you can do that. Now, I know people freak out when we talk about doing that. We did it with college kids all the time. If college kids can do it, you know, I think all kids can. Yeah. Um, and it's just like anything else. We just have to make sure that you know, we're you know, matching the kids up so that it's, it, it's a competitive situation as much as we possibly can. But so to me, it's all about trying to do all these different things in our training to try to make it feel more like real hitting. And so it's not just this shock of, oh my gosh, people are watching now. Oh my gosh, people are paying attention now that we're paying attention, that we're putting a little bit of consequence, a little bit of pressure into the situation in practice. No, I think that's really exciting. And again, a good way to create some intensity so so it doesn't feel as weird when we get out there um, you know, on the field. Uh, but also too, this time of year for us here, and for those that are going to be playing in high school, early in the season, you know, we need a little bit of time to get that live setting, that live feel to get our feet under us and not to feel like the world's crumbling around us if things aren't perfect in the very first tournament, right? right. We'd love for it to be. That would be great. But uh, be realistic about, you know, the progression of getting back out on the field and, and having good success there. Yeah. So, But so uh, we would love to hear your ideas, coaches, if there's other things that you're doing. Um, that you think are really good for connecting the uh, training to the playing, uh, for, you know, the practices to games. We would love to hear about it. But uh, those, So those are some ideas that uh, Coach Don and I had that we think are going to be really helpful. So that's going to wrap up number 198. Please make sure that you support our sponsors, Anderson Bat Company. Make sure you take advantage of the EFP20 discount, patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. Become a patron if you can. Go to fastpitchprep.com and order your Square Cuts training disc. Over 700 blogs, the YouTube channel, tons and tons of information is available to you there. Make sure you go to Elite Sports and Pinnacle Power Butter. And again, supporting them supports us as well, and we would certainly appreciate that. 
If you have questions, comments, suggestions, and absolutely player of the week nominations, reach out to us at fastpitchprep at gmail.com and everythingfastpitch at gmail.com. So that's going to wrap it up. So for Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tory saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>